The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, as we've had a chance to sing and pray and consider to behold for a moment in a way who you are, we have maybe been able to see something, just some little glimpse of your nature, of your goodness, your magnificence. And we declare to you, we We sang it and we want to say it again now. We declare to you that you are worthy of praise. You alone. All glory and honor and praise belongs to you. We say that often. We don't quite know what we mean when we say it. But sometimes it strikes us and we say, yes, you are God. And we are not. You are worthy of praise and honor and glory, and we are not. We are small flowers quickly fading, here and then gone. You are eternal, high and lifted up, glorious in every way imaginable. All praise and glory and honor is yours. We say that, and Lord, now I ask, praying that you would help us to believe that in a different way this morning as we consider the passage in front of us and maybe give us opportunity to think just a little bit about ways that we infringe upon your glory. We don't want to, Lord, but we do. And so show us some of that and Help us to take the right step back. But also as we do, Lord, would would you help us to take the right step forward towards you believing and pursuing you? Maybe there's some trickiness in that this morning, Lord. Would you make the passage clear? Would you make my words clear? Would you help our thinking to be clear? Would you build your church here? Would you build us individually and us corporately? Would you build us up to be a people who declare and who actually live all praise and all glory and honor is yours. You are the magnificent one. We don't infringe upon that. But we pursue you, ironically looking for your reward from you, for your commendation to rest upon us. Help us to think about that and pursue it this morning. Make the word clear to the honor of your son, Jesus, and for the good of your people here, your church. So we ask it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Nobody likes hypocrisy. Whenever a person says one thing but does another lesser thing, those who notice it are rightly put off. And all the more so when we 
realize that the saying and the doing, it seems very deliberate and very calculated, a scheme that is designed to make me look like something great that I'm not. That's hypocrisy. It happens all the time in politics. It happens all the time in all aspects of life. And it happens in religion, too. Nobody likes it. And here today, as well as in some of the following weeks in Matthew 6, Jesus is going to speak against it. But to grasp properly what, what he's getting at, what he's saying, we might need a slightly different definition than the straightforward say one thing, do another that we usually have in mind. Because the particular hypocrites that Jesus has in view as he talks and warns us, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were very much concerned to do what they said, what they taught. For the most part. Of course there are exceptions, but for the most part, the the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were usually very concerned to say and then very concerned to do exactly what it was that they said, what they taught. They were, that, was, that was their game. They were really into that kind of consistency. They wanted to walk this walk that they talked. So what's hypocritical about that? Well, notice this because... This is, if we catch this, this is going to help us realize that Jesus is putting his finger on a type of hypocrisy that actually might apply to us. If you think of it just as the distasteful, and you say one thing and then, you know, when the camera's off, you act a different way. Nobody wants to do that. Everybody hates that. We're all trying to get away from that already. But Jesus is going to put his finger on something that's just a little bit different that might actually reveal to us just perhaps that we actually have more of a problem with hypocrisy than we realized. Because the hypocrisy that he's looking at is a little bit different than just say one thing, do another. It's, it's saying and doing things to serve and please and praise God that actually in the heart really are being said and done so as to praise me. See, it's still the same basic, seems one way, but actually is another. But it's saying and doing, performing things that are right and good, that are even commanded for the good of people and for the glory of God. But actually, the reason I'm doing them somewhere down beneath the surface is so that I'll be seen to be doing them and praised for it. Using spiritual actions and activities for a very worldly purpose. That's the hypocrisy that Jesus is going to lay his finger on here this morning and in following weeks and warn us about. Saying and doing good and right things for me, actually. A self-deceived hypocrisy of the heart that he wants to warn us away from. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And it will come up several times further in this chapter. But we begin today here with 1 through 4. Let me read the passage and then draw two observations from it. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, 
sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. So two observations. Here's the first. Righteous acts, like giving to the needy, that are done for public praise will get only public praise. Righteous acts, like giving to the needy, righteous acts that are done for public praise will get only public praise, and that's it. Nothing more. No lasting impact, nothing from God, just the praise of men. For a good while now, we've been in this main body of the Sermon on the Mount, and in in this main body here, Jesus has been elaborating on the righteousness that Christians have, a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This started back in chapter 5, verse 20. And that righteousness that we have is, first of all, a righteousness in standing. Righteous before God, not because of what we have done, we We cannot make ourselves righteous by what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Christ is the only one who perfectly kept all of God's law with his heart and with his hands. And when a person trusts Christ's cross alone, that righteousness that Jesus attained gets transferred onto our account, while our sin gets transferred onto Jesus' account. He hangs on the cross with him. And so... Jesus' righteousness is credited to my account as if it was my own, as if it was your own, Christian. And so you stand 100% pure before God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. Righteous and standing. That is far superior to what the Pharisees tried to do, of trying to obey every single thing that God did, trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to. Far better than that, we stand right because Jesus did. But more than that, secondly... We actually grow in a lived-out righteousness here on earth. Again, far superior to theirs because it's not focused on the hands, it's focused on the heart. Jesus' main emphasis through the preceding weeks has been to attend to our hearts, that our hearts would be aligned with what God's heart is, what God's values are. And God at work in the Christian changes our hearts, making us far more righteous in here than the Pharisees were, which then, of course, affects here, our hands lived out. And in that context, here in verse 1, Jesus gives a warning, cautioning us about how to live, how to practice this righteousness correctly, not like the hypocrites do. So, verse 1 is sort of like a general thesis statement. If you notice the the general structure of chapter 6 here, verse 1 is like the thesis statement, which then in verse 2 gets applied to when you give to the needy. And if you glance ahead at verse 5, there's another application. And when you pray, don't do that like the hypocrites do. And you glance ahead at verse 16. And when you fast, don't do that like the hypocrites do. So each of those activities, giving, praying, fasting, those are very spiritual endeavors. They are very righteous acts and actually required by God. We should do that. So that's Jesus' general point, is that 
These are things that you do, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do them. Verse 1 is the header, and that's how we're going to look at this passage today. We're going to catch the header in verse 1 and then applying it into the giving to the needy in 2 and following. The word there in verse 2 that we have in English, give to those in need, is actually the word almsgiving. Which when you hear that, you realize that's about something very specific. Almsgiving, the, the giving of money. This was set up in Jewish culture and in other cultures too. But it was set up in Jewish culture in that day to be a way for those who had to give to those who did not have. To give money, often to those who were, who were destitute because they were injured or were disabled or in some way were afflicted in some manner or another. It was done in various different ways, but sometimes, for example... People who had need would sit on the way to the temple and as people went to the temple for, say, a big festival, as they, as they passed by, it wasn't exactly like they were sitting there begging. It was the thing to do. It was the appropriate thing to do. They sit there and we who pass by and have money give alms to them. And sometimes that was done especially at festivals. So that may be what the trumpet is about in verse 2, the trumpet that would have kicked off the festival. That might also be Jesus' exaggerated way of saying, you know, don't toot your own horn. Don't, don't make a big deal of it. But whatever the trumpet exactly means there, the general point is clear. There's a frequent situation. Me, the righteous guy, is standing next to the one who is in need. And how do you know that I am the righteous guy? Well, watch. I will show you that I am the righteous guy. I will dump out my coin purse into his lap. See? And probably I will also quote a Bible verse about the generosity of God. I might quote a psalm. I'll say, I will carry your concern, brother, before the Lord as I go into the temple, singing and smiling, thankful all the while that God loves a cheerful giver like me. Hashtag good guy. <laughs> Don't do that, says Jesus. Don't practice your righteousness like that. We are supposed to do that. We do have to practice our righteousness. We do have to live this out. And giving to those in need is one of the righteous things that we should do. And Jesus assumes that. Notice here twice, this is not a command to give to those who are in need. It's a command about how to give to those who are in need. It's assumed when you give, here's how. But you're giving, right? Of course. Because that's what we are. Because that's what God is. Our God is the generous, gracious, giving God. And that's the character that he's planted in us, his people. It's really, if you recall the Beatitudes, it's really an aspect of meekness where the meek person takes all that he or she has, all that is within our power, the things that we have, the abilities that we have, and doesn't use them to defend my own rights, but instead uses them to give and bless others. An aspect of meekness. All, all of the resources that I have, including money. But probably, while noting that almsgiving would be particularly about giving cash, we should think of that word need a little bit more broadly because 
it's not always the case, especially today, it's not always the case that somebody who is in need has a need that is financial. The, the principle here is generosity of self, giving of self, including money, but not only money. His assumption is that we would be like our Father in heaven, giving in our natures, giving to those who have need, like our Father in heaven. And as I say that, again, like our Father in heaven, what does that make you think of? Maybe two weeks ago, where Jesus talked about our Father in heaven who gives to whom? Even his enemies. So this, this passage, no accident, comes on the heels of that passage where Jesus defines the boundaries. And when I mean give to those in need, here's who I am talking about. Sure, family members, of course. The Bible talks about how we are, of course, to give to our family members and, and to the church family, of course. And even our enemies, like our Father in heaven. Chapter 5. God, we just saw two weeks ago, God gives his reign and God gives his son all kinds of common grace. God gives that to people who never think about him, not once, or who when they do, hate him. And he gives to them anyway, generously. Perhaps, in his giving to them often through us. Perhaps in that they will see something of his nature, something of the generosity, the goodness of God, the kindness of God that might lead us to repentance, as we just sang. Perhaps someone will see something of the character of God and think that maybe there is just something to this, this message about a generous God who would give his own son to meet my deepest need. Maybe people would see that, but even if they don't or don't see it quite yet, God still sends the rain, still sends the sun, and so calls us to give also. Money, but to give ourselves. Prioritizing the household of faith for sure, but including even our enemies. Now that all is assumed here. When you give, like I was just talking about, to your enemies, even, when you give. But we probably need, I think, to hover over that just for a second to ask ourselves. At least I found it helpful, if one can call what I have found helpful. Convicting might be another word. I've found it helpful to hover over this for just a minute myself and ask, is what is assumed as the norm actually my norm? Is it actually your norm? What would the people at your workplace or at your school in your neighborhood say? Would they, would they think of you as a giving and generous person? Would they know, if I have a need, there's someone who would want to know about it? Someone who I have found to be of help? Maybe not exactly like money in that sense, because we don't often ask people like that, but I could count on you to pick me up and take me to the mechanic. I, I could count on you to watch my kid here real quick. Do they think of you like that? Generous and giving with yourself, your resources, your money included, but your time, you. 
So I've had to think about that a little bit. Is that your norm? It's supposed to be the norm, and it's recognized here by Jesus that that might be your norm, but it might still be done in the wrong way. There's a right way and a wrong way to be that, to do that. Don't do it before other people to be seen by them. That's verse 1. Which is not prohibiting practicing righteousness before other people. It's prohibiting practicing so as to be seen by them, which of course verse 2 means to be praised by them. That's the problem. Seeking the praise of men. Using the things of God to seek the praise of men for me. It's important to see that problem, to see that heart issue there because some of our righteousness can't help but be done in public. Next week, for instance, we're going to talk about praying. Well, we've had several people this morning pray in public, standing right here. You can't help but do some of these things in public. The issue is not that it must always be done in, in some hidden way and we have to always go through some sort of odd twist and turn to, to be completely anonymous. And in fact, we were just talking about some of this and if, if you think about like broader topics like First Peter, sometimes the, the doing of something in public is actually necessary. It's how witnessing happens. It's, it's what makes a person ask, where did that come from in you? Tell me about this reason for the hope that's within you. We might ironically, if we were to apply this too strictly and too hard, we might ironically hurt the cause of Christ by making it seem that Christians never give a dime to anything anywhere. That, that would be actually sending the wrong message. So, we have to understand it is, it's appropriate to do some things in public. The issue is about the heart, what, what's going on inside of here, why you're doing that. This is always the case with Jesus and always so complicated because if you would just, please, just give me something specific and clear so I know exactly what to do. And Jesus says, what's going on inside you? What's going on in, in your heart in there? I don't know. So Look. Ask yourself, what's going on inside in there? It looks like it's love for others. It looks like it's trying to help them. It looks like it's bringing praise to God. But really, if, if, if I pause and ask, and do you ever notice this, uh, at least me? I notice sometimes when I'll, I'll do something or say something or give something, and it appears that it's about to go unnoticed, I get a little bit worried. Like, oh, but did you, did you notice like where that came from? And do you notice that in you? Do you notice how hard it is to refrain from when somebody's about to get credit for something you did? How you feel like, oh, and you got to try to work it into the conversation in a way that doesn't appear quite so much like, no, Bill didn't do that, I did. No, you can't, I can't quite say it like that. So I got to say like, well, you know, we were, the other day we were around and uh, I kind of suggested it to. If you look, you will find that. It is there, at least in me. Something down in there beneath me, not always, but more often than it should. Something in me 
I'm doing something that looks like, and I really, at some level, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I do intend that it be helpful. I do intend that it be to the praise of God. But what I also want is for you to notice who did it. And probably, you can see in my examples here, I'm, I'm spreading this a little bit beyond just giving money because sometimes today, if we're honest, we, we often give money with a credit card online. And so it's not seen anyway. So we've got to expand this, I think, a little bit if this is going to touch you to other things that you might do to be helpful to people. And if you look, I think, I suspect you will find spots there where something underneath of it, you're a Christian, you have good purposes, but something underneath of it says, and I also want you to know that that was me. When I gave my time, when I served, when I helped the church in some way or another, I'm secretly hoping to be seen. And Jesus says in that spot, truly, truly, I say to you, that's all you get. You wanted to be seen? They saw. You wanted to be praised by them? They praised you. Man, they were impressed. And that's the end of it. Nothing actually useful because it didn't get pointed back to God actually like it could have been. And it was just the praise of people and that's fleeting, gone next week. That's all you got. The point's clear enough. Jesus is obviously speaking to his people, to Christians, separating us Notice the, the careful language here, separating us from how the hypocrites operate. His language is very much us and them language. Because this is not you. This is them. But of course, the reason he's talking to us about it, warning us, is that while it isn't who we are, it can very much be what we do. And I think if you look, you'll find it. We're, I think, often tempted to do just this sort of thing, to, to take something that is right and good, and we, don't want it, we want it to be right and good. We want people to be helped. We want God to be honored. But I also want some of the credit at least. Why is that? Why is that? In, if, when you, if, if when you find it, why is it in there? I think, let me try to, I've got a couple levels here, so let me try to be clear and follow this. If, 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 I'm, if I'm clear enough, you'll be able to follow this. I think, first, simply put, Christians, we, we are still very, very much driven by the opinions of other people. It matters to us too much what other people think. Their view of us. We want to be accepted by them. We want to be known as the good guy. And in a church context, that means as the righteous and religious guy, the, the holy person. It's how we establish our place here in, in, a, in a community, in a culture. How you make your reputation. Here I'm moving from the first level down to the second level. It's how you make your reputation. It's how you gain for yourself a standing. How you gain for yourself acceptance. And how you know that you have a standing and acceptance. That you know that you're good enough. 
we kind of tend to wonder that. So I need people to tell me. And if you're going to tell me, then i got to show you so that you'll tell me that I'm good enough, that I am actually a holy man, that I am righteous. That is a byproduct of a heart that is not fully settled in Christ. A heart that is not fully at rest with his opinion of you, with his verdict over you. His opinion, if God's opinion of you, Christian, sits too lightly on you, then you don't quite for sure know who you are. And you don't quite for sure, for sure know, I am accepted. I'm good enough. It's okay. And so if, if I don't, if his opinion of me does not sit strongly, heavily enough on me, and I still wonder about that, then I'm going to be constantly, constantly looking in the opinions all around me, and I'm going to need, I'm actually going to need you to tell me I'm okay. Or I won't be able to go home at night and put my head in the pillow and rest. I'm going to look back at my day and look at all the disaster in it, and I'm going to wonder. And so I actually need you to tell me, no, 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 you are good. No, no, you are all right. That makes us a slave of people's opinions and forever shackled to doing things, doing things that they will approve of. Christian, there is a freedom from all that that comes not in doing to get their feedback so that I can tell myself through the eyes of other people that I'm good enough. There's a freedom in saying, I stand accepted because of Jesus. And let that be the defining element in your life. You know this. Grab it. Stand in it. Walk in it. Even through your sin. Even in the moments when you, when you run off the rails and, and depart into something that you know is grievous to God. Absolutely for sure. But what enables us, what enables us to repent and come back from that is the standing in his steadfast kindness. That's what leads us to repentance. Grab a hold of that. Make that your reality. I stand accepted. I'm an object of grace. Period. I'm righteous in his eyes. Period. That'll set you free from the slavery of doing things and constantly checking with people. Do I, need, do, do I meet your approval? Do I meet your standard? Am I good enough? Tell me. I wonder. I don't need that. I know. Because I know what Jesus says about me. Beloved one, child, friend, citizen, heir, the kingdom of heaven is mine. I'm okay. Christian, we are fine. And we don't need other people to tell us that. As I work through all that, and I, 
I hope I was clear enough to help you walk through. As I work through all that, I find something interesting here that is that it is not just hypocrisy is wrong, don't do it. I find that the reason that I move towards that is a weakness. It's a weakness in my grabbing of my gospel standing. And so I want to say hypocrisy is wrong. You don't need to do that. Behold him and his hand on you. It'll set you free from seeking their approval, from feeling the need to perform in front of them to get their commendation. That's who you are, Christian. And Jesus is bringing this point up because he knows that we might deviate from it and live like they are. No. You stand righteous already. Live that. Live there. Pulls, it pulls our attention, it, pull, it would pull the attention away from God on, onto us. That's, there is a wrongness to it, but there's particularly a weakness, and that's fortified in you if you will behold God and his verdict on you. And then, more so, look to his reward of you. And that takes us to the second point. Here's your second observation. Righteous giving, done in secret, will be praised and rewarded by God. Righteous giving, done in secret, will be praised and rewarded by God. Verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. One way to avoid this, this predicament of particularly giving in ways that draw praise is just to not give, but of course he means for us to give just in a private, outside of the limelight sort of way, in a way that avoids the public praise. Don't make a show of it. So practically, that might mean that you give something to a person or you help a person or an organization anonymously. That's fine, of course. It might mean that you do it quietly in some out-of-the-way way, it doesn't draw attention on yourself. We can figure out ways to do all that. It's, it's, if, if you're looking for it, there are plenty of ways to do that. And there are plenty of ways to deflect the attention when somebody does try to give it to you. I've had to think of some of those. You've had to think of some of those. So just make them your go-to phrases. Whatever it would be for you, I like to say, God is faithful. God provides. Sometimes that's all that's needed to remind, oh yeah, it's from God. But sometimes I've heard people say this, this is not what I usually do, but I've heard people say this, and it works, I think, very well, particularly here when people say, you are so good. You are so righteous. People say that around here. And to have the ready response of, actually, no, I am not. I, I struggled even with this very thing here, that, that wanting people to know that I gave this and to think I was righteous. But in fact, the only reason that I have 
anything worthwhile in me is because of Jesus and his cross. I know people who, that's what they say regularly. Maybe that would work for you. But you can figure out some way to do that, of course. The point is that it not be something that draws praise onto me and is let sit there. That God be praised, that Jesus be honored, and that the recipient be helped and see this is from God. We need to give like that. And particularly if we're parents, we need to think about how to give like that in a way that our kids can see it. Perhaps learn a habit. This talks about giving in secret, and as we do that, and as we think about not drawing attention onto ourselves, particularly if you're a parent, you need to think carefully about this, I think. And as an aside, parents and kids and modeling giving is, was one of our considerations when we moved to online giving here at the church and kept the offering box in the back. We know that, I mean, for years the tide was moving towards online giving because people, people do so much of their financial transactions, so many of the transactions on the internet with a credit card, and so people want to do that. But if we did that completely, that's almost too much in secret, and your kids might never see you give to the church, to anybody in need, ever. They might never see that. So we kept the box there, particularly for families, to give those of you, particularly of young kids, an opportunity to say, we give, let's go do that. And actually, you can give too. You don't have a credit card. You're 10. But you can put some money from your allowance money or from what you got mowing the lawn, and you can put some of that in there too. We can give. Here's how. I would encourage you I mean, do what you want with that, but I would encourage you, if you're a parent, do that at least enough that something can be understood by young ones. And it also advise you that as you use that, at least at some point show them how much you give. I remember one time when one of our, at the time, pretty young kids, for the first time, saw the check. You remember what checks were, right? saw the check that we would always put in the offering plate, folded over in half for discretion, of course. They, for the first time, saw the check and saw the amount on it in, in their mind what was a ton of money and said, you give that every week? Like, yeah. It's like, Phew. Because they knew the offering plate went by. They, they knew people put money in it, but they had no idea. In their, in their minds, it was a ton of money. That's important. Don't be so much in secret, so much like separating the, the giving from yourself that kids never see that. If you're a parent, that's, that's important that you teach this lesson to your young ones. And it's going to involve a lot of you. So use, use the box back there. Show them something of what you, of what you give. And in some way, help young kids come to see that. The goal is to give in a way that makes much of God, not ourselves, and for parents to raise up young kids who think likewise, who give in a way that honors God and helps people. We don't want to hide that so much that they won't see that, but we do need to hide ourselves in some way from the public eye, from the public praise, 
And, in fact, we need to hide ourselves from ourselves. Which is what the don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is actually about. Of course, it's not literal. It's not, not even possible literal. But what he's saying is both of those are you in the same way that you don't put it out there in front of people and say, hey, everybody, look. Because I need your praise. Similarly, don't put it out there in front of yourself and say, wow, I'm really doing it. To the praise of my glory and grace. We can do that with ourselves too. In the giving of our money or in the giving of our time, the giving, the giving of ourselves, it is not hard, is it? To look at yourself and say, even though I didn't put that there in front of them, I regarded what I did, and it met my approval. That's still you looking for significance in something other than what God says. Still you looking to your works to make yourself okay. So don't go there. Don't, don't look at it yourself. Just give with the focus on the giving and the focus on the need and the focus on to the praise of his glory. Looking not to people, looking not at yourself, but instead looking to God. And perhaps this is ironic. Looking to God for his reward. For his reward. Not his reward of heaven. This is all written to people who are already his people. He already is our Father in heaven. That's, that's the language here repeatedly. We already are his children. We already are forgiven. We already are going to heaven. We already stand righteous. So we're not looking for the reward of heaven. Very often people misunderstand something in the Sermon on the Mount by taking a sentence or an idea out of its context. This is another one that's used. If I will give, then God will reward me. I will give, and he will give me his approval. He will give me heaven. No. That comes only in trusting Christ and his cross. But God is also very clear that he wants his people to do righteousness like him and that he will reward that. Now, and in eternity. We will each receive us what is due for us for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. That's Paul in 2 Corinthians writing to Christians that each of us will receive what is due to us for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. There is a reward coming. That's Paul in Corinthians. And that's all throughout this passage, too. He started on this reward idea back up in verse 46 in the previous chapter. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And then verse 1. If, if, you, if you give in this wrong way, then you won't get reward from your father. Verse 2. You will get your reward, and that's it, from people. 
or verse 4. But if you do it right, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's all over the section. God will reward you, Christian. And Jesus tells us that so that we know it and aspire to it. So God is setting up something here that is, that is explicitly meant to function as bait, a lure. So Christian, you're already one of his people. You already stand accepted. But what, what's he telling you? There will be more. There, there will be more blessing, more reward of some sort or another. I, I can't say exactly what it is. I can look back at the Beatitudes and I can see kingdom of heaven. I, I can see heir of all things. I can see seeing God, walking with him. No, I can see those things and I can get hints of them, but he doesn't actually say ever. What, what do crowns in heaven mean? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I want it. Whatever that might be. So whatever all the details are on that, one thing it must be, one thing it must be, is the same kind of reward that any good loving father gives to his son or daughter when he sees him or her walk out the family values. Nice job. That's my boy. That's my girl. And if you're a kid, those of us who aren't kids, you can remember this. That's often all you need. Yeah, I mean, you already got a house. You already got the access to the car keys. You already got food. What you need is to know that my dad thinks the world of me. My dad is, yeah, that was, that's my boy. Nice job. Something of the reward from God must be that at its heart. I want, I think, I thought, I want the praise of people. I want them to say, nice job. And he says, if, if they do, then you won't hear that from me. That's all you'll get. But if you're not chasing that, if you're chasing it from me, you'll hear and you'll see the smile and you'll feel the warmth of my breath as I draw you near and say, well done. Ah, there we go. That's what we're about. I don't know exactly how that would feel or how that would play out, but I think you want that now and for forever. Something to the well-done, good, and faithful servant. Something to that you want. Now, in a way, that's all Christians. We all enter into the joy of our master. But there's something different. There's some sort of reward that's offered here, that's promised here to the one who practices righteousness in a way that is aiming for this to be good and that to be honored. Never mind me. That's my boy. That's how we work. To bless the world and glorify God. Well done. Christian, that's a reward worth chasing. And it's promised to you and held out in front of you so that you'll know it's there and you'll seek it. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Give then obediently, righteously. Give looking for your reward from the God who knows how to satisfy your heart. Let me pray. Lord, flesh this out for us. Make it real. Move us to follow you. But above all that, or maybe behind all that, what we should first say is thank you. The only reason we can be this, that we can give like this, is because you're the giver. You made us yours. So thank you. Grow us up, mature us. Make us better image bearers, more accurate image bearers. Make us useful to the world and honoring to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.